Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We'll continue with our discussion of the Paramatma Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami. <clears throat> Anucheta 70, Parinamavad. We'll continue right off by going to the third section of the 70th Anucheta, which is, as we've mentioned, extensive and dealing uh, with giving us firm acquaintance with and complete comprehension of the terminology achinta, beta, beta, tattva, inconceivably, simultaneously, one and different when it comes to understanding the nature of the Lord's material manifestation. How can the Lord manifest a material universe that contains such diversity, a lot of which appears from our limited vision to be devoid of any spirituality whatsoever. So, how to reconcile that? How can a world which appears to be devoid of, of any God consciousness in some respects come from God? How, how is that possible? Of course, a lot of it depends on your angle of vision. And as we go forward, and we've seen also in the past, Jiva Goswami has, has given us some insights into that. And he actually will end this entire Paramatma Sandarbha on a very profound insight wherein he, he states emphatically that there is no necessity for the manifestation of the material creation in and of itself. That the only purpose for the manifestation as seen through the eyes of a Vaishnav like Jiva Goswami, is the fact that he simply again manifests the material world so that those devotees that did not complete their course of devotional service can take off where they left off in a new creation. He explains the entire material creation in that way, and he supports it by scripture as three, seen through the eyes of the Vaishnavas. It all depends on your angle of vision. And when that's, that's what devotional service entails. It entails uh, seeing things in a different light. Uh, spiritual life entails seeing things in a different light. Giving up material involvement. Walking away from the world of of exploitation and entering a world of service requires a sea change in the way we conduct our entire existence. It's a major, it's a major uh, overhaul <laughs> of our consciousness and our actions. Uh, if we are to accept the fact that we've all been here before, <laughs> so. We'll continue. We're going to read, begin this discussion by reading directly from Jiva Goswami's 70th Anacheda in this uh, third uh, part of it. Uh, and so we return to discussing the original verse. Objection. So an objection as well is raised at the beginning of this. Well, since there is a deviation in the principle of the effect corresponding to the nature of its cause, 
which is an instance of faulty reasoning, hey to a boss, let it be said that the universe is illusory like the silver in an oyster shell. So he's going to start out. Let's, let's go back to our original verse and let's go back to the fact that you have to call the world an illusion. That's what else can you you can't arrive at any other conclusion uh, than that because the result does not correspond to the cause. So we're going to go a little deeper into this. Well, actually, let's look more deeply. So again, he's using the Shrutis, the personified Vedas, uh, and their dialogue to address this doubt that really you have no way to, to speak of the world except as an illusion because the source does not match up with the result. The source doesn't, the cause does not match the result. So the scriptures respond. The Shruti's reply, sometimes it, the effect, is false. In some cases, as in the example of the oyster shell, silver, the existence of which is merely of the nature of a mental impression or a projection of reality, is false. But elsewhere, oh first, all right, silver is false. The silver in an oyster shell is false. I can accept that, but that's not that there's other ways of looking at the situation is what the Shruti is saying here. But elsewhere, in other instances, where the effect shares both characteristics, meaning where the effect is both an object of perception and also has the causal efficiency to produce an action or event, it is not false like the silver in an oyster shell. So they they begin, and this is going to this discussion is going to be developed. So this is just the beginning beginning place here. Listen, all right. So you say the universe is just like the silver in an oyster shell, and therefore it's an illusion. All right, but the fact is, that's just one instance. You're, you're just taking you're just you're presenting one example here, but there are other times that the result actually does have some commonality with its cause. And that commonality can be seen where the effect of the cause uh, can be perceived and it has some, what does it say? It has some efficiency, some causal efficiency. It's not the same as the silver in an oyster shell. As we mentioned in the last discussion, the silver in an oyster shell, you, you, can't, you can't spend it as silver. You're not going to be able to take it to the, to the jewelry store and can you make me a locket out of the silver in the oyster shell. You can make a shell locket or a shell bracelet, but you can't make a silver bracelet. which It looks like silver, but really you can't, you can't melt it. You can't make a coin out of it. You can't use it as a filling in your teeth. In the commentary, there's a little discussion of the of the of the development of the idea. 
Uh, to this, the next opponent, Vivartavadi, argues that since this fallacy, which fails to establish the universe as real, is present, then why not just accept that the universe is illusory, a sot? Like the false silver, that is no more than an appearance of an oyster shell, an appearance in an oyster shell. This proposition is put forth because of the similarity involved in the comparison. The characteristics of silver are uniquely different from those of an oyster shell, the source of the so-called appearance of false silver. The universe is also proven to have characteristics different than Brahman. Since the silver perceived in an oyster shell is illusory, it naturally follows by comparison with this example that the universe is illusory too. The five-step syllogism is as follows. The universe is illusory. Because its characteristics are different from those of its source. Next step, third step. So this one has five as opposed to three we talked about. But it's the same development of thought. And whatever effect has characteristics different from its source is illusory. Like the false silver perceived in an oyster shell. Number four. The universe has characteristics different from Brahman because it is perishable. Remember, we all this all started out with the fact that Brahman is not perishable and the universe is. Brahman does not go through changes and the universe does. So this whole thing is just based on well because of these because of these characteristics of the manifestation coming from Brahman, which you're calling the material world really doesn't exist. It doesn't match up with the cause. It's temporary. It's changing. Because it's temporary and changing, it's not like Brahman. Therefore, the universe is illusory. So this is their argument. It's, it's based on the fact, you know, that it does, the, the characteristics do not carry through properly. Hetu Abbas. To this the Shrutis reply that an object cannot be unreal just because it is perceived differently from its source. Rather, it is determined as unreal if it is incapable of being put to practical use, meaning that it is incapable of exerting causal force or in producing successful activity. You'd say that they've changed the playing field, but really what they're saying is there's reality in the material universe. It's not, you're saying it's illusory like the silver in an oyster shell, but really it has some practical utility. So you can't really say it's a sot. It's not an illusion. An illusion is that. It's just an illusion. But the universe, hey, look, it's it has some utility. It can produce some positive outcome. It has some successful activity. Like you could make a bracelet if it was the silver, if it was real silver in an oyster shell, you could melt a coin. You could fill a tooth. You could make a piece of jewelry. So... Now we're getting close. Look, 
We're getting closer to sot. You're saying it's just a sot. It's an illusion. We're moving towards sot. So let's continue this discussion. So that's what the, the Shruti is doing here. It's, they're shifting the focus. For You're saying the focus is entirely on perishability. So you're, you're basing everything on one thing. That the universe is asat because it goes through changes and Brahman doesn't. In the case of the silver perceived in an oyster shell, one cannot take it and sell it in the marketplace or use it to make an ornament because, in fact, there is no real silver. But such is not the case with the universe. We have our empirical dealings in it, and thus it is real. Though not imperishable like its cause. It is perishable. It does perish. Then it comes back again. So, But it's it has some utility. So this is this is the logical approach. Now you understand, Jiva, in all these discussions, he uses every approach he can. Mm-hmm. And, but he's not, what's he basing these approaches on? He's taking from scripture. He's taking from dialogue from, this, from the Vedas personified from the Srimad Bhagavatam. Look at this dialogue. This dialogue is here. And look, they're dealing with the exact point I'm trying to make. And the point I'm trying to get across is a chinta beta beta tattva is a viable understanding of the supreme absolute truth. God's shakti can go through modifications. And that's those modifications of his energy bring about the world. So he's dealt with the fact that Brahman himself, or Brahman, is not itself directly modified, but its Shakti is modified. Now, of course, with the Advaitins, they're going to have a tr- trouble with that. Why? Because they don't think they don't see any distinction. They don't think or accept that Brahman can have any thing except. It's direct swarup, I guess they would say. Of course, we know Brahman doesn't have a swarup in the context that we conceive of a swarup, but their basic argument is Brahman is Brahman, and there's only Brahman, and there's nothing except Brahman. There's not like Brahman can have a shakti that's, that's distinct from its very essence. So it's just existence. It's just existence, and existence comes from existence, and non-existence cannot come from existence. So therefore, the world, which goes through changes, modifications, is here today, gone tomorrow, it can't come from Brahman. We, we say, yeah, actually the world, the world can come from Brahman, but it doesn't come from, the, from Brahman proper. So the world is a parinama of the shakti. So it's shakti parinam vad. That's our the Vedic understanding and the Vaishnav explanation.
So going on. With another objection. Next part. Illusory objects have no utility. So, but practical utility, the opponent says, artha kriya karita, is seen in counterfeit coins also. All right. I mean, let's go. Let's go as deep as we can in the argument. Okay. All right. So you said the universe has some practical utility. Well, so do counterfeit coins. So the Shrutis, anticipating this objection, the Shrutis reply: Only for the sake of worldly transactions is such a false cognition accepted. Only for the sake of unethical business dealings in the form of buying and selling is such a false representation of counterfeit coins sought, but not for their well-known rightful usages. One will not receive the benefit of piety by donating such a fake coin. Similarly, one who buys the roots of a poisonous plant such as the arca plant, whose roots resemble ginger, sold as dried ginger and then eats it, thinking it to be so, will not be alleviated from his disease, but will, will more likely be killed. <laughs> Therefore, the reality of the universe is accepted because of its multifaceted, well-known, proper utility in producing successful activity. Such utility or functional efficiency is, however, partially present in the illusory is, however, partially present in the illusory snake in the form of the fear that it instigates. But such fear induced efficiency is not the cause of real action. It cannot result in the person's being factually bitten. So they even take it one step further. And look at this. Sometimes you have a rope, but it looks like a snake. And it looks so much like a snake in poor illumination that your heart palpitates and you run away. You're scared for your life. But when the lights come on and you go back, it still looks like it could have been a snake, but you see that it wasn't. So the fears dissipated. So there can be a temporary, even a temporary. So the Shrutis take this argument even one step further. Yeah, it could be a fake coin. You could even have a fake snake. So, yeah, you could buy something if you had a vendor who didn't have deep knowledge of what real coins looked like that you could cheat. And you could even be cheated when you see a rope and you accept it as a snake but it doesn't have any practical utility. So again, they're, they're trying to emphasize this point, this point in, their, in their argument. There is practical utility in the material manifestation. So your argument, it, it falls apart. Your argument's only good for those who are cheaters. Your argument is... Of regarding counterfeit money, yeah, who's going to accept it? 
people that have no fine discrimination, people that have no, that don't know what a real coin looks like. So the answer to this is that the fake bills may be instrumental in buying and selling things, but in reality, they have no utility. In reality, the Vavarti Vadi argues back, but there is practical utility or function, functional efficiency even in imaginary objects. In the case of that, where one mistakes a rope for a snake or sees a plastic snake, he becomes fearful. So they're saying there's some functionality there. The reply here again is that such an occurrence is not real functionality either. In other words, even if one becomes fearful on mistaking a rope for a snake or on seeing a plastic snake, the rope misperceived as a snake will not bite him. The argument continues. Next subpart. Fake coins have no utility. Moreover, the Shrutis say, they take it even one step further, worldly transactions or are perpetuated through the blind succession of past conventions. These conventional dealings, such as buying and selling by using fake coins, are not like the commerce connected to real coins by experts in such affairs but are merely the results of blindly following past traditions. Thus, because such fraudulent dealings are not possible with those who are expert in recognizing genuine coinage, one should not infer otherwise merely because of the resemblance of the former to genuine commerce. It is certainly appropriate that the mere mistaken appearance of smoke would lead to a fallacious inference about the presence of fire. So just going a little deeper, you know, there might be some instances in the past where tradition is, they've not had real currency. But when you, when you have knowledgeable people, knowledgeable people that are, have fine discrimination, they're not, not going to accept it. And also understand that inference that the fake coin is a real coin, that you project onto the fake coin, so you're projecting that. The, they're saying the source of your projection may be the fact that you're inferring based on traditional usage of such fake coins, right? There's, they're commonly accepted in the society, but really they have no value. Just like we have a monetary system that real people would say is fake. It, they just print money. It has no backing in reality. So you could say that traditionally our culture has up to whatever year they took, uh, you know, backed in the government by the gold in the vault off the bills up to that point they were worth something. It was real currency. And you could make an argument today that all the currency, that's, that all the transactions that are happening based on printed money have no real value. I forget the nomenclatures for this. but And there are many that, that 
speak in those terms. Yeah, your whole economy is based on, it's just based on smoke and mirrors. There's no value in the what you give value to and exchange from one person to another and, and manufacture your whole system of commerce on. It has no value. There's nothing to back it up. So that's what this is saying in regards, you know, because you some again somebody would take the argument to the next stage. Well, let's take it back. We're living in a culture right now that has counterfeit money, fake currency. Is this being compared to the way I see reality, by how we see reality by projecting cultural cultural influence on the way we see things? Yes. In other words, that's that's what the Shrutis are saying here. They're saying that past conventions, a succession of past conventions, up to the year that they took us off the gold standard, there's been a succession of conventions where dollars have been accepted freely in the marketplace. And now, 50, 70 years later, we're still going on those conventions that this is this is okay. It's okay for you to go into a bank they can take your money and then they can lend ten times the money that you put in their bank. That's an accepted convention within the modern banking system. And it's allowed. So you go in, you make a deposit, and then based on rules of the, of the monetary system within this society, U.S. society, up to seven or ten times, they can lend back out to other people. Yeah, you can go on YouTube. You can see these, how these, how it works, you know, and how it's, how the bankers have, how this whole system functions within society up to this day. So that we're talking about those conventional usages of, 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 so, there's certain illusions that come into a society is basically what the Shruti is saying. But that does not diminish the validity of the argument we're making. Which is, there is real money. There is real money. There is, you can't have gold and silver coins. There is the possibility of that. You can't just go entirely on an inference. And then they take it one step further like smoke in relationship to fire. So I can look at a building, and if I see smoke at the top of the building, I can say, well, the building's probably on fire. I can take that same inference and look at a mountain and see a cloud behind the mountain, not knowing it's a cloud, but I can, my senses will say, wow, that looks like smoke over there behind the mountain. Look, smoke's coming up. And you could say the mountain's on fire. Well, it doesn't work. So that's that's kind of played out here in this, um, and the commentary concludes with this paragraph in that regard. Therefore, because the universe has some practical utility, it cannot be false and must be real. With this, the Vedas personified have refuted Vivartavad. The next portion of the verse refutes the Mimamsakas, who consider the universe to be eternal and thus argue against Parinam Vad. So now we go get one step further. Okay, we've dealt with the dealt with the Vivartavad. 
jivas up to a point where, okay, we've dealt with the fact that the universe is not an illusion. Well, there's other arguments out there against Parinamavad. That's not the only one, that the, that the result is not the same as the source. So let's go on to those arguments. So we'll start on those arguments and see how far we get this evening. Parinamavad, continuing. The universe is not imperishable. In this way, Jiva Goswami continues, the Vavartavad has been refuted by demonstrating that real existence belongs to another object, one that is of an entirely different nature from the illusory one due to its having causal efficiency. Arta Kriya Karatva meaning its capacity to be used towards a valued result. You can't say the universe is just a sot. You can't say the universe is an illusion. There's some real utility to the universe. You may not, from your perspective, from your cultural background, you may not be able to perceive the utility of the, of the universe and see it as a true function of you'd have to come to an understanding of the Paramatma feature of the Supreme to see that it could have a utility that was in of his nature. Now if you're only looking at the universe as from the impersonalist viewpoint that the universe is Brahman and you don't accept Brahman having any independent willfulness, so to speak, having a personality, having personal characteristics, and being able to utilize his shaktis for his pleasure and be able to use his shaktis to, to extend his, his uh, opulences and mercies and, and fulfill the desires of his parts and parcels. You may not be able to see that, but that doesn't completely eliminate the fact that the universe may have, and Jiva will prove to us it does have, a functionality in relationship with the Supreme. So therefore, it is sat. It is real, because it has a real purpose in the play of the Lord. It's part of his... His Leela, his Shristi Leela, we say. So, just because you may not be able to perceive it, that doesn't mean that Vivarta Vod wins. Just because you look at the world as an illusion, because you can't see its utility, because you think like it's silver in an oyster shell, or a counterfeit coin, just because that's your viewpoint, that doesn't defeat its utility. In fact, I've shown you here that there are instances where a cause can be different from its effect. But it doesn't mean that it nullifies the effect altogether. So we're going to go on then. We defeated Vavartavad. Jiva set that aside. It's the philosophy of illusion. 
what Jiva Goswami is establishing here is Parinamavad, the philosophy of the material universe being a manifestation from the Shakti of Paramatma. In this way, the Vivartavad has been refuted by demonstrating that real existence belongs to another object, one that is of an entirely different nature. It changes. The Supreme doesn't change. From the illusory one due to its causal efficiencies, meaning its capacity to be used toward a valued result. Now, the Mimamsaka, who accepts the universe as imperishable, stands up. We're in a debate. He stands up. Wait a minute here. <laughs> to present the following objection, saying, but Vedic statements like, we have drunk Soma juice and have become immortal, that's from the Rig Veda, and the piety of a person performing the Chaturmasya sacrifice is imperishable, established that the fruit of karma is eternal, so it is not possible that the universe is perishable. The Bamamsakas come up and say, okay, actually, you're all wrong. The universe is eternal. So your whole thing of, of uh, you know, a parinama, it being manifestation of the energy of the Lord and then unmanifested, uh, is defeated by Scripture. And here's scriptural statements that defeat it. The universe is eternal. Why? Well, because I can drink soma juice and I become eternal. If I drink soma juice, I can go to the heavenly planets and live there forever. If I perform the Chaturmasya sacrifice, I become immortal. So, the Shrutis anticipating this, this objection... Again, there wasn't any real mamamsakas there in the audience, but they said, well, they could stand up, and if they stood up, they'd say the following. And they'd quote us. They'd quote what we say and say the following. Hey, you can drink some soma juice and you'll become immortal. Hey, you can perform Chandramasya and you'll be in heaven forever. Anticipating this objection, the Shrutis reply, your words delude O Bhagavan, your words in the Shastra, through their manifold powers of expression, namely their secondary and indicative forces or functions, delude those whose intelligence is dulled by the former, formal structure of Vedic hymnody. The word ukta refers to those hymns or verses in scriptures that enjoin sacrificial performances. The dull-witted, in respect to such hymns, are those whose intelligence has been blunted by the burden of exorbitant faith in Vedic rituals. Okay, then. So much for Vedic sacrifice. The Shrutis are saying, wow, this could be a, you know, they're, they're raising objections. I'm reading this and thinking this could be applied in so many other places <laughs> in regards to exorbitant faith without taking into consideration other statements. Exorbitant faith in one 
one word in 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 a book and saying this trumps all world all other words and you fell from Vaikuntha or you have inherency as far as your constitutional relationship with Krishna. I'm not going to go there. We'll go ahead with the Mamamsaka arguments regarding going to heaven and see how Jiva deals with them. But it's applicable, logical fuel for our understanding of how misconceptions can enter into our consciousness and how to deal with them responsibly. So this discussion continues with a little depth in understanding the different ways Vedic statements are made. And in order to fully unpack that and explain it, uh, I'm going to put that off to our next class. Where this is like the flowery language well we're also talking about word usage and when you take a direct meaning and when you take an indirect meaning and when you take an inferred meaning and how you apply that so basically what what we're going to do here is we're going to show that these statements although they are in the scriptures are not to be taken literally that they're actually what's the word that's used here um And he takes us back to the to the Bhagavat Purana to to break this out a little bit. But uh, if I can find the word to leave you word to leave you with uh, some contemplation, there are a lot of Tory passages. They're speaking. They're praising Vedic sacrifice. So when you're praising something, somebody. You may not be a hundred percent literally accurate, like they've done this and they've done, you know. Yes. So the exaggeration of drinking soma juice and never, never, ever, under any circumstance at any time, dying, that you become a mortal just by drinking a drink within the material universe, doesn't fit with the whole material universe. And the fact that you could observe perfectly Chaturmasya and that would be it? You'd be in heaven forever? So are there any questions in regards to what we discussed this evening? About regarding the utility of the universe. Um, and you stated that that utility couldn't be maybe the Vivartabad philosopher couldn't perceive the utility that the Bhakta can perceive or Not getting to that point, he does get to that point at the end of this Sundarbha, 
from his perspective, the, fa- the fact the universe affords the living entities the opportunity to turn their consciousness towards the Supreme. We may not know fully the purpose of the Lord in every instance. So again, we can infer that the Lord has a purpose. Jiva Goswami is going to present a purpose at the end of this Sandarva. Other sadhus will present other purposes. The Lord himself will present purposes. But the point being made is, for one who's not in tune with the Lord's purposes, either through his bona fide agent, his scriptures, or himself personally, that doesn't nullify the fact that there is value in the material manifestation. Does that make sense? Thank you. You're welcome. Yes, it does. Thank you. Anything else? Thank you so much for your association.